Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Brian and Laura Hales are the co-authors of Joseph Smith's Polygamy Towards a Better Understanding. Brian is the award-winning author of six books on polygamy, including the first three volumes in the Joseph Smith's Polygamy series. Together, they are co-webmasters of josephsmithspolygamy.org and speak frequently about the history of early polygamy. Laura is an active blogger and editor of an upcoming anthology on 16 topics of historical and theological significance to members of the LDS Church. Laura and Brian combined have nine children. So welcome, both of you. Thanks, Nick. You guys are a relatively new couple yourselves, is that right? That's right. 18 long months. <laughs> long, long months. All right. Well, as far as uh, your your work together, I mean, it sounds to me like you both have kind of been interested in church history, church-related topics, and things like that. So did we get to the story of how you two met? Was it church-related? I'll let Brian do that oh, one. Well, we, we met online. Okay. And uh, I was working on the uh, trilogy, the three books, Joseph Smith, Polygamy, History, and Theology. And uh, I was kind of in the thick of, of writing, and we met and dated a little bit, and I I just couldn't break away, so we <laughs> stepped back from the relationship, and then the book was published, and and uh, we got back together. So Yeah. Did polygamy ever come up in, on dates? Is that first date material? <laughs> you know, I don't think we ever talked about it while we were dating. Really? Really. That surprises me. <laughs> A little bit. I, I was only looking for my first wife, so, you know. It, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so how exactly did you guys uh, both work on this this particular volume, Joseph Smith's Polygamy, Toward a Better Understanding? What was the dynamic between you two as, as contributors and writers? Well, first I had to get Brian to agree to write the book. <laughs> um, shortly after becoming engaged to him, I read his trilogy in six weeks. And when I finished, I said, how about we write another book on polygamy? And his reaction was, absolutely not. <laughs> I have spent six years writing polygamy. I don't ever want to touch it again. Yeah. And so I kind of had to work on him a little bit. <laughs> and I had some help from a friend who um, urged him that maybe there was a place for a book on LDS polygamy geared specifically for an LDS audience. Well, because the previous one was more of a general general history of kind of thing? Is that what you're implying then? Well, the, the, in the, uh, the three volumes, I try to either quote or at least reference every known document dealing with Joseph Smith and plural marriage. And that's why it's 1,500 pages. And I'm grateful to Greg Coford Books and Lloyd Erickson down there for letting me put all that in into uh, one set. Most publishers never would have allowed that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it, it most it's not a good set for the average person just wanting to get their head around what happened. And they don't have time, and, and there's a lot of detail there they probably wouldn't be interested in. So I could see the wisdom of what Laura was saying, but I, you know, I was just kind of burned out on the whole yeah. idea. So. It's a heavy topic in some respect. It's controversial for sure. But uh, at this point, uh, I guess there's to, let's just jump right into your into your book and the subject matter. And there's main three main sources that you address in this book as 
being the sources of information on Joseph Smith's polygamy. So, so what are those three main sources? And feel free to answer whoever of the two of you wishes to, I suppose. Well, the, uh, the primary caches of, of documents come first from a set of affidavits that were collected um, in 1869, 1870, by Joseph F. Smith, an apostle. And this was uh, directly in response to our LDS missionaries coming to Utah. And he compiled 55 affidavits and from 12 of Joseph's plural wives. And it's a wonderful cache. There's also some testimonials in that group that are really helpful because they give us more information than just, yeah, I was sealed to Joseph. Um, the second group is, was compiled in 1887 by uh, an independent historian, Andrew Jensen. And he went around and, and did a bunch of inter interviews and then wrote an article that was published in 1887 called Plural Marriage in the Historical Record. Uh, and that's very important. Not only the article is important, but Don Bradley uh, was able to access the, um, the notes that were used to write the article. And mm. there's some really good, important stuff in there. Uh, the third set of, of documents is the Temple Lot uh, legal case that was in 1892 to 1894. And there, the Church of Christ Temple Lot that owned the Independence Temple Lot was being sued by the RLDS Church. RLDS Church said that they were just the same church Joseph had um, organized, and so they owned the lot outright because they were the same church. There was continuity. The Church of Christ Temple Lot had physical possession, and their defense was primarily to say that Joseph Smith taught polygamy. The RLDS Church doesn't practice polygamy. Therefore, they are not the natural heirs to the church Joseph Smith organized. The, the Church of Christ Temple Lot didn't practice polygamy, but the Utah Church was very happy to bring in um, three of Joseph's wives and a whole host of other uh, people to testify that, yes, Joseph Smith Jr. did establish plural marriage. And, and, of course, there's a lot of other sources, but those are the three primary groups. Okay. So I guess we, we should probably lay the foundation of any discussion on polygamy that starts out with, of course, the theology behind it. So what are the theological reasons for the practice of polygamy? Well, there's four reasons given in DNC 132 where polygamy... Um, may be mandated or permitted by the Lord. Of course, we're all familiar with to multiply and replenish the earth. Um, another reason given is, you can, and you can find this in the church essays, is a specific trial for the saints. Um, it was part of the restitution of all things. That's mentioned in, in C 132. And also, this is the most important thing. Um, for the exaltation of all women in the celestial kingdom. So that's DNC 132 being, of course, the primary source document for, for the theological components of it. So what is there, is, is there a difference then in the use of the terms? Because I, I tend to use polygamy and plural marriage as interchangeable terms. Are, is there any difference between those two terms? And if so, what, what is that distinction? I want to make sure I'm using the right terms. Is polygamy the right word, or is it plural marriage? What, what is it? I think plural marriage is essentially just used by the LDS church. Am I correct? Yeah. I, I think that, and Laura and I actually, it's a great question, Nick, because we've been talking about what should we use. And, and Joseph taught about celestial and plural marriage. And uh, he did use the term polygamy, but he often would use it in a different sense, saying that the 
the uh, the Muslim uh, sheiks were practicing polygamy, but the Mormons are practicing plural marriage. It was a play on words to try to be able to deny polygamy and not uh, divulge the celestial marriage. Um, it didn't work very well then. It doesn't work at all now. And Laura and I just thought, why don't we just call it polygamy? Because then everybody knows what we're talking about. But even that word, if you analyze it, it really just means many marriages and would apply to a man with many wives or a woman with many husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't use it that way, but technically the term could be applied to either dynamic. So there is also another term, if I'm not mis- mistaken, spiritual wifery was was thrown around as well. How did that term come into play, and, and is that considered kind of a derogatory term, or was used that way? Well, the term spiritual wifery was known um, outside of the church before even the 1830s. It seems to have been introduced um, in Nauvoo by John C. Bennett. John C. Bennett was telling women... Uh, privately that they could have sexual relations as long as they kept it secret. And he called that spiritual wifery. We we don't have any references from Joseph Smith using the term to apply to celestial marriage. Joseph Smith's celestial marriages were very different. Um, They they were eternal. They were designed to last beyond uh, death. They were true marriages. Um, Bennett's liaisons were just for sex, and then you were done. There was no commitment afterwards, and Joseph taught about marriage. We do have Joseph referring to spiritual wifery uh, in different forms, and he condemns it. Um, and he saw it as completely different from the plural marriage, celestial marriage that uh, he was teaching. It's just so ironic, though, that as Joseph is trying to, to establish plural marriage very carefully in Nauvoo, John C. Bennett shows up and is secretly uh, seducing women in the name of spiritual wifery. Um, I argued that neither of them were connected, that Bennett never once sat down with Joseph Smith to learn about his celestial marriage teachings, and there's strong evidence that that's true. I have an article coming out in Journal of Mormon History in the summer edition talking very detailed about that. But um, it's a, spiritual wifery was adopted by a few church members later to describe Nauvoo plural marriage. Mm. So it becomes even more confusing. Right. But we don't have the leaders using that term at all. And, and we don't have Bennett saying uh, – he, he called it spiritual wifery. He didn't call it celestial wifery or spiritual marriage. I mean we don't find a composite. It was Bennett was spiritual wifery and then Joseph Smith was a, an order of the priesthood or – celestial marriage, uh, very different uh, uh, meanings to the, each of the individuals. Yeah. So one of the other things that I read in your book, and I uh, there was some very good information there to digest, a lot of information, um, even though it was condensed compared to your, your other three volumes, but uh, you make the distinction that there were times where plural marriage was permitted and other times where it was commanded. So what are some examples of, of those two different things? Well, in the Bible, we read about a lot of the patriarchs who practiced polygamy, and it was permitted by the Lord, but it was also part of their culture. And so those would be times where it would be permitted. Another time would be between 1890 and 1904 in the church. A few polygamous unions were permitted um, by the president of the church. So that would be a time where it's permitted, but you can choose to opt out. Okay. Commanded is you've been told that you should practice polygamy and you need to do that or you will be disobedient. And and would Joseph Smith be under that? Joseph Smith, maybe Brigham Young, these are the men that we would look at as the ones that were commanded to do it. And 
according to them, they said they were commanded to do it and that it, it would be a commandment in the church, though DNC 132 doesn't specifically say that it's a commandment. Also, um, in DNC 132, it mentions that Abraham was commanded to take a second wife. Okay. So in this particular case, as we look back on the historical record, those are some of the things that we you know, will encounter as far as terms and setting a foundation theologically. But uh, I guess part of the reason that, that uh, polygamy stands as, as a difficult issue for, for many people is that it seems like uh, this, this issue that they were commanded— uh, that that almost seems like they were doing so against their their better judgment. In fact, I think you gave a quote in the book from Brigham Young that said that uh, he, when he first considered the idea, it was I, I'm misquoting, but it was the first time he wanted to die or something like that. Is that right? Something close to something close to that. Well, he said he he saw a hearse with a. a, a coffin in it and he he wanted to trade places with oh, the okay. corpse in the coffin i think something like that and so there there's several quotes of them being very reluctant to such a thing um which which kind of brings up a question i i know that we have issues in the church such as like race and the priesthood where many are able to kind of distance themselves from this practice as something that god didn't command or that god didn't put that ban in place and that's kind of how they distance themselves from such a thing but is there such a position when it comes to polygamy? You can't exactly, the historical record, does it show that you can disassociate God with this? Well, I think in the case with um, the priesthood and temple ban, we don't have any revelation that we can point to. Um, in this case, we have people saying they were taught by Joseph that an angel commanded it. We have nine accounts of people who, who say that that's what Joseph told them. And so I think we we have more of a theological basis in this case. We do have DNC 132 that says that it can be commanded. We have Jacob who discusses the times when God can command polygamy. So I think there's a, a much richer theological basis for the practice of polygamy, and it's not as easily discounted. Okay. Let, let me add one thing, Nick. Um, yeah. We don't know why God commands what he commands, but it's it's pretty weird that God would command Adam and other uh, tr- leaders, religious leaders over the, the millennia to perform animal sacrifice. I mean, does that make sense? You take the firstborn, take him out, kill it, and then burn it? Um, and then Abraham was commanded to practice uh, circumcision. Now, is that strange? Uh, so, so God is capable of commanding things at specific periods. I mean, today we don't practice circumcision or animal sacrifice. We're not we're not penalized by that. Our theology doesn't say that we should be doing it and we're going we're disobedient and it's the same thing with polygamy. We have a period from the early 1840s to 1890 where God commanded it. The commandment was removed through the one man who held the authority to to authorize these and uh, it's not commanded today. And I don't believe personally it'll ever be commanded again, but it will be permitted during the millennium. And we're, that's that's pretty much a standard uh, belief uh, among previous leaders. But to the idea that it'll be commanded again is, is, is not something that I am familiar with anybody prophesying. Gotcha. I guess when we look at the... Uh the, the other issue relating to Joseph Smith's polygamy and one of the questions that you guys address within the book uh, are the conflicts relating to the plurality of husbands or polyandry. 
and there's a couple sections in your book that discuss this particular issue. Um, but what's the main, is this a different issue in people's eyes or is it the same issue, just gender roles reversed? Or is there something different about the issue of polyandry that makes it unique? I think it's different, especially in this age where the women in the priesthood is a really hot issue. The, the women I've talked to who have really deep feelings about this issue, um, their biggest um, their biggest thing is it seems unfair that men would be able to take extra wives, but women are not able to take extra men, uh, husbands. And so t- to me, the real issue is fairness for these people. Um, so on, so, so th- there's a group of people that think yeah. that it's a disgusting, deplorable practice, and then there's others that look at it like, why am Who I being left say, out of this? Well, I think they think it's a, dis- a disgusting practice, but they're worried about the fairness issue, <laughs> too. Yeah, I want to be disgusting, too. No, I, I want the option. I'm not going to take it, but it right. just seems unfair is what my take-home has been from the proponents for sure. polyandry. And and I think one of the big issues, and this is for church members also to some degree, is that I call it the Fon Brody Express. I mean, people were accusing Joseph of polyandry um, before Fon Brody wrote her, her book in 1945, but she described Joseph as sleeping with women and then sending them off to their legal husbands. And and she had no evidence, but nobody called her on it. Even Hugh Nibley, who who criticized many things, did not broach the topic of polyandry. He, I, I'm thinking church historians back then were worried she might have actually had some evidence to support what she described. And there there is no unambiguous evidence to support this. And But, but people have been, especially the unbelievers that the critics have been very comfortable thinking Joseph is doing this, that he's authorizing a woman to have two genuine husbands, even though there really hasn't been any evidence to support it. And so, um, as I point out, that there is no evidence, and then we couple that with the theological problems and the fact that Joseph and every every pronouncement from church members and leaders about polyandry say that it would have been adultery. And so, trying to turn this Fon Brody Express around and say, hey, look, if we're going to believe in this, let's find some good evidence and deal with the contradictory evidences— and and so we're just trying to turn it. It's it's not going real fast here. We get pushed back on that probably more than anything else. But for those who want to uh, believe it, you know, let's start looking at the evidence and and try to explain the behavior that we can document that is goes completely counter to the notion. Well, I think the polyandry issue is is two sided. First, there's the theological basis that's discussed in in 132, which I mentioned before, where the women say, hey, is this fair? And then there's the historical issue of was polyandry practiced with Joseph Smith and some of his plural wives? And of all the topics that disturb people about Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy or plural marriage, polyandry is either one or two. And so, you know, there's two issues there. Um, they want to make sure that it didn't occur, and they also want to make sure, hey, theologically, are things fair? And it's kind of a weird position to be in, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it seems like it, we, we're putting a hierarchy on which which practice we're more or, or less okay with, and it's very, very difficult in a lot of different ways, and, and so many different opinions that seem to be floating around about this, and most of the sources that you guys talked about seem to be from the late 1800s. Why is it that it seems like most of the accounts that we have are so distant from from when it was being practiced originally? 
Um, there's only um, two documents from Nauvoo um, that, that come from Joseph. One is section 132, and the other are some excerpts from William Clayton's journal. That's it. Now, if you expand it to unbelievers, we can find four other sources, William Law, Oliver Olney, Joseph H. Jackson, and John Bennett. But those sources all have lots of problems, and they contradict each other, not, not only other, other problems with them. So we, there just isn't any. And I've had people, uh, when my book was reviewed by, by one critic, he, he was criticizing me for using late um, accounts. And, and in my rebuttal, I just pointed out that this individual was a polygamy researcher, had written several articles, and he was using the exact same uh, sources I yeah. had, and he was criticizing me for doing so. And the reason is that's all there is. Um, and we wouldn't even have what we have if the RLDS missionaries had not come out to Utah and said Joseph was was not a polygamist. If the RLDS church had not formed, we would know perhaps a fourth of what we know, or may, certainly less than half. So we're almost grateful to them for their, their statements that needed rebutting. And the, uh, the novel polygamists in the 1860s, 70s, 80s were willing then to declare what they remembered. But there's always problems with these sources. Yeah. It's all we have. Yeah. But, you know, we actually have sources maybe that don't, uh, aren't directed, give us specifics like we would like, but we have letters from Heber C. Kimball to Helen Mark Kimball written contemporaneously, and if you know what was going on at the time, you can read behind the lines and see what he's referring to. Um so we do have some sources like that. Eliza R. Snow, on the day she was married or sealed to Joseph Smith, started her journal, but she certainly didn't write about her experiences in her plural marriage. This was a time where they were very fearful of being caught by um, unfriendly so sources outside of the LDS community. They were afraid of something happening like happened in Missouri. And so the, it was very secretive, and the last thing they were going to do was put on paper what was happening. Yeah. You know, Nick, I should add the happiness letter was written in the context of, of polygamy. It was a letter written by Joseph to Nancy Rigdon or dictated by Joseph to Nancy Rigdon. And then also we do have a prayer, uh, the ceremony that was used to seal Joseph to Sarah Ann Whitney. Um, somebody's going to say, Brian, you're wrong, but I do know about those sources too. But they don't really give any explanation about polygamy, but they were certainly given in the context. They show that it, it took place, right. that events happened. So one one of those difficult things that ends up happening too with the issue of polygamy, and, and I guess it's been talked about for, for a long time, so it almost seems like an old story, but you have stories that relate back to Emma and her role in all of this. Um, particularly and probably most notably the first one with Fanny Alger as, as a story that, that comes to a lot of different uh, people's attention. What exactly would you say would be Emma's opinion, role, and her part in this whole, let's call it a drama. It's very real, but it, it's, there's a lot of complexity to it. So what's, what's Emma's role in this? What was her opinion on polygamy? She didn't like it. Ever. <laughs> I don't think she ever liked it, but um, it, that doesn't mean she didn't support her husband or the practice of polygamy because um, we have plenty of evidence that though she wasn't happy and at some times 
She rebelled strongly. She was very verbal sometimes in her um, discussions with some of Joseph Smith's wives. She did give or condone at least five marriages. And um, she didn't demand that he divorce any of his plural wives. So, you know, in the end, I think you can pretty much say that she accepted something she didn't like. Okay. There's every evidence the last nine months of the of his life that they lived a monogamous lifestyle outside of the Nauvoo mansion. But Joseph had several plural wives living in the mansion, and Emma was there. And whether she was overseeing uh, his visitations, we have a quote from Lucy Walker saying, yeah, she was the first wife and kind of regulating as most first wives do in polygamous relationships. Um, the idea that they would be living there and be uh, acting as non-wives is less likely, but we don't know. All we know is that she was able to live with Joseph and several plural wives under the roof of the mansion and apparently did so without any outward problems that, that we can document. Mm. Okay. So I guess one of the questions that I have, oh, Ellen, let me let me put this out there also, and this this book itself is is quite thorough in a lot of different ways, including many biographies, if you will, at the very end of Joseph Smith's wives, right? Little little would, would you call them mini biographies? They're very many. <laughs> okay, like a page or two kind yeah, of thing. Sometimes a half a page, depending how much information we could find. Yeah, and so the total we have was it thirty six. What was the total number of wives that you guys claim that you can confirm? We actually disagree on this. That's why <laughs> oh, Laura's not okay. answering you. I, I have 35. Laura has 34. Okay. Yeah, but but one, I appreciated what you said, Nick, that the, this book, even though it's it's much shorter than the three volumes, it, it doesn't shy away from any of the controversies. Absolutely. And I want the readers to know that. It's, because it's shorter doesn't mean that we've, we've left things out that are important. Every controversy that I deal with uh, in the, the, the big ones are all there. And, and so we wanted it Absolutely. that way. Yeah, no. And, and that's what I think was so impressive to me was the fact that you could read it and you, wouldn't, you didn't get the sense that anything was being glossed over or hidden or, or shied away from. That these were some pretty difficult stories. And they were put in context. They were given some historical relevance and, and referencing. So I, the, the question that always probably gets asked of you guys as you, as you go out and talk about this, this issue, how is it that you are able to come away from it with a faithful perspective knowing that there's these very difficult and troubling issues surrounding polygamy? You know, I think it takes time. I think part of the reason I wanted to write this book is because... Um, after I read his, uh, I embarked on reading his trilogy thinking, I am not going to learn anything in this book that I don't already know. And if I do, it's going to be very slight. Hmm. At the end of the book, I was a little bit stunned at, at what I had read. <laughs> That's a lot. And, and a little bit in shock. I definitely had information overload and I had a lot of questions. And I went about searching answers to those questions. And I have to tell you, in the 18 months that I've since I've read the book, there hasn't been a day where I have not either studied or contemplated Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy. And um, I've done this by reading the primary sources, essentially. 
trying to put it in context. And it's amazing as you ponder these things. Don't ponder so much. I've read what other people, of course, have written about polygamy, but I'm the, I'm an English major, but it's more on the professional writing side. And for me, it was always annoying in English class when I would sit down after reading a book and the teacher would tell me, this is a fantastic book and this is why. And I would kind of rebel against that. I'm like, don't tell me what to think. And that's kind of how I've been with polygamy. Don't tell me what to think. I want to read the documents and I want to come to my own conclusion in my own time after I've thought about it. And it's and that's how I've gone gone about it is I don't understand this, so I need to learn more. And I'm I'm constantly learning. I won't say I don't still have questions, but they're not the ones that I had 18 months ago. Sure. Did you need a Want to respond to that too? Well, I I, uh, I like the question. Um, I'll be honest with you. The book is not made to uh, increase testimony. It is to provide transparency and context. Um, but at the same time, as somebody who's tried to see every document and understand as much as we can of every every document, um, the process really has strengthened my convictions in Joseph as a prophet. Um, there are things that he did I, I wished he hadn't done. I wished he hadn't married 14-year-olds, even if he didn't consummate the marriages, and I don't think he did. Um, I wish he hadn't been sealed to other men's wives, even though there was no sexual polyandry. These kinds of things for us to understand today are very difficult, and, and we're in the throes of now trying to, to, to provide some clarity. But, but amidst it all, uh, and he made some, I think, choices that were not uh, top-tier choices, but I don't find any evidence of him being involved with sexual immorality or doing anything that would have prevented him from, from fulfilling his role as a prophet. So, And you know, Nick, what I have found is that the things that bother me about Joseph Smith's, Smith's practice of polygamy are going to be different than the things that bother my neighbor or the things that bother you, because what we've experienced in our life sometimes makes us sensitive to different issues. Sure. And we actually finished our manuscript about three days before the essays on uh, polygamy came out in October for, for the Gospel Topics page, and we thought, oh my goodness, we've been trumped. But that's actually been a blessing to us because in the editorial process over the last few months— and in when we have spoken to people, we've been able to see, okay, what bothers different people about the practice. And we've been able to go back to the manuscript and say, okay, we need to add a section here and see if this can help people contextualize this better. Because it wasn't one that we initially thought of ourselves. So um, I think that's been really good in the process of writing. We wrote this as a primer. It's only 200 pages. But like you said, we tried to pack as much information yeah. as we could in those in that small space. Tons of references, hundreds of references. Very thorough. So I, I have one last question, and this is, this is just purely fun and coincidental, but have you heard about the play that's coming out uh, in the next week or so, mid-April, called uh, Pilot Program by Melissa Larson? It's about polygamy. I thought that maybe the polygamy couple would, <laughs> would have heard about it. Have you I, heard about it? I had heard about it, but I uh, tell me if I'm wrong. But I thought it was placed out after Nauvoo. 
It's actually supposed to take place in 2019 as a future time when the church is piloting a program where polygamy may be reinstated. And it's kind of an exercise in awkwardness is I think how the author described it, (laughs) of how that might go in 2019 versus 1842. I think that's a pilot program that most of us would want to opt out of. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, there's your date night if you guys are bored <laughs> to go check that out. Yeah, curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Brian and Laura Hales, for coming in. Um, where can people find out more information about your book? Well, it's uh, Greg Colford Books is taking orders. Um, and we will have something up on our website, josephsmithpolygamy.org. Um it can be ordered through Fair Mormon Bookstore as well. That's it. That's good. Those are good sources. Let's not give too many, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you both for coming in. Again, the, the book is Joseph Smith's Polygamy. What's the what's the subtitle on this one? There's, diff- there's different ones for each set. Toward this a Better Understanding. Toward a Better Understanding, which for me it actually did. So I, I'm grateful for your work for your year's worth of of work and research and putting this together. Encourage people to go check it out. Thank you guys both for coming in. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.